Uh, if you have a Bible here with you today, your phone, uh, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, as that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Now, one afternoon last year, I got kind of lost in that vortex that YouTube can be. And you probably know what I mean by that. It's like you go to YouTube to watch one video, and then like all of a sudden you kind of like come to a couple hours later, and you're like, man, two hours have passed, and you're going, what am I watching? Where am I? Who am I? It's just like you've just lost yourself in YouTube. And that, that happened to me. And so last year, it was I found myself one afternoon, like, I don't know how, but watching British etiquette videos. That's just what I, I was watching, and I wasn't planning any trips to the UK, wasn't hosting any British nobles or anything like that. It is somehow I found my way there. But in one of the, the videos, and actually a few of them that I was watching, it was the former royal family butler, and he was just talking about how you were to conduct yourself in certain situations. It's like, here how, here's how you set the table, here's how you pour the tea, here's how you butter your scone, as he called it. Um, and he, he talked about, like, if you were in the presence of royalty, like, he's like, how would you bow? And most of us would be like this. And he's like, no, no, that's too much. It must be like this. I was like, oh, big difference. Um, but then he was also talking about, like, like how you were to set your cutlery depending on how you're done your meal, if you were done or not. And like the thing that got me is if you're eating with the king or queen, if you're ever in this situation, just know this. Um, if they stop eating, you have to stop eating too. Like even if your plate's still full, like once they're done eating, you're done eating. And that sounds terrible um, to me. But there was a certain way that you were to conduct yourself in different situations, according to British etiquette, especially, again, if you're in the presence of royalty. Now, last week, Greg kicked off our series in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he was kind of explaining that Peter's writing to Christians who are dispersed throughout uh, different Roman provinces, and, and they're experiencing hardship persecution, oppression for their faith, that um, they, they might be losing business because they're a Christian. They might not be able to conduct business because they're a Christian. They might be kind of losing their homes, their possessions, their lives might be threatened. Some Christians even losing their lives. Now for us in, in 2024 here in Nova Scotia, we don't really have to live with that threat. We, we don't understand what those Christians were, were going through, but here's what we, we have, we've said, like we talked about this in the fall, that the way things are trending, like some of the stuff that Peter and others write, you're kind of going, okay, I, I, I could understand why he would write some of this. That's getting a little bit more uncomfortable, a little bit more awkward for Christians here in the West. But Peter, he's saying, you know what? Despite what you see going on around you that might cause you to worry, that might cause you to grow discouraged, because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, you have a living hope. You have a future inheritance that cannot be taken away. And so that's what Peter's saying in the first part of First Peter chapter 1. And so this is the situation we find ourselves in. And so Peter writes this in starting in verse 13 um, of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers." 
And so in verse 15 and verse 17, Peter uses that word conduct. And a real simple definition of the word conduct is this. It's the manner in which a person behaves on a particular occasion or in a particular context. And so our our conduct is kind of informed. It's impacted by the situation that we find ourselves in. Now, sometimes I'll see my, my wife, Shannon, going through the house. She's got a measuring tape and she starts measuring things and I get a little nervous and because and, I know she's going to say this, like I've been thinking and she's going to tell me about a renovation project that she thinks we should do. And I initially on almost all of them push back because renovations are expensive and we've done our fair share of them. And I'm just like, I don't like living with renovations. But then she'll come back at me with something like this, like this is our forever home. So we need to make sure that we, it is the way that we want it. And so what, what she's saying is like, we have no plans on moving anytime soon, that we're in this place indefinitely, so let's be comfortable in it. Now, I, I mean, I, I get that. But sometimes here's, we, we take a similar approach to our life here on earth, that when we consider our 70 to 100 years, however many we get, we kind of think, this is my one shot. This is, I've got to make the most of it. And I would say this, like your, your life is a gift. It's a gift from God. And, and it's a good thing to appreciate that, to enjoy it, to enjoy God's creation. Nothing wrong with that. But Henry, Henry uh, David Thoreau, he was a, a naturalist, a philosopher. He once said this, you must live in the present Launch yourself on every wave. Find your eternity in each moment. Fools stand on their island of opportunities and look toward another land. There's no other land. There is no other life but this. And we go, oh, wow, like that's inspirational. Let's throw that up on on social media. It's like, let's seize the moment. This is it. This is all we've got. But then you you kind of start to consider what he's saying. He's going like, this is it. Like, this is your one shot. You've got to get the most out of it. And if you don't, You've wasted it. You've blown it. Now, I remember Pastor Tim Keller. um, He passed away, I think it was earlier last year. But he was commenting along the lines of why we as a culture are anxious and we're we're growing increasingly angry. And he wasn't saying this is the only reason why, but he said this, and I thought it was really good. It's because as we write God out of our story and our understanding of the world and how we look at things, we, we look at this life and we go, this is it. This is my one shot at happiness, at joy, and all of that. And if we don't make the most of it, we do start to get anxious and angry about it. That, like scripture would say that, that God has put an eternity in us, that we have a sense along that there is something more out there and every human being feels it, whether they acknowledge it or not. And that makes us anxious as we're not getting everything out of this life that we were designed to experience. And so we, we are frustrated, we're left wanting by this world because anything that you try to put your joy, your hope, your security in, it can ultimately be taken away from you by someone or something in this world. And so there are things that you long for deep inside that this world cannot satisfy. But in verse 17, Peter's telling Christians, he's saying you're living as strangers for a time in this world. That in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, like the first part, verse 1, Peter told them they're living as exiles. And it's not just Peter who, who kind of has this theme. 
In Hebrews, the author says this in, in chapter 13, verse 14, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And so scripture would say, it's like this world is not it. Actually, you're living in the shadow of eternity and you're living in the shadow of an eternity either spent with God or an eternity spent apart from God. And so Peter's going to Christians, he's like, do not think of this world as your forever home. He's going like, approach it more like you would a short-term rental, an, an Airbnb, that you don't make long-term plans surrounding a place that you're only in for a little while. Like you don't build your life around the vacation home that you've rented. You don't change your mailing address. You don't take your family photos, put them up and like move your possessions in your furniture and start rearranging that vacation home because you're like, wow, we're gonna be here for a while. Like you don't do any of that. And as good as the vacation home might be, you know, it's not going to last forever, right? And if, if you're like me, I, here's what happens. is like you start off vacations, like I've got plans, I've got hopes, I'm gonna accomplish a lot, it's gonna be great. But then as that vacation time kind of dwindles down and you realize that you've got to go back to reality at some point, um, you start to get anxious. You start to kind of get like, I haven't accomplished everything that I want to accomplish. And you start to, you kind of like go, how am I going to pack all of that in there? And you're worrying about it. And Peter is, is saying like, listen, let's put things into perspective. Jesus is gonna return. Believers are gonna be resurrected and they're gonna be with him forever in his kingdom. Heaven is the, the permanent and future home for those who call Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we, we say this, that our joy is future focused, that we don't have to be anxious and angry about what's going on in the world because we have something that better that's been promised to us as believers. That can't be spoiled, it can't be taken away. And so this is the situation Christians live in and Peter's going, okay, Christians, loose grip on this world, tight grip on the world to come. And so the question Peter answers, and, and you need to respond to this as well, is, how should I live during my time in exile? How am I conducting my life during this temporary time? And so in verse 17, Peter uses this word judgment. And the return of Christ is also known as, as judgment day. Like in, in high school and university, if you took any courses, college or whatever, there was often you were told like here, there's gonna be a final exam on this course. And that could be a judgment day of sorts because like for some of us, depending on how that semester had went and depending how much that exam was worth, that could be like, that determined what might come next for you. And so like, I remember though, my, my teachers, my professors would say at the ex end of this, this course, there's gonna be a final exam. And often they would say, here's what might be on the exam. Or sometimes they would say to us like, this will be on the final exam. And so you were warned. And so throughout scripture, God in, in some ways is going like, there's a final exam at the end of your life. And he's, he's warning us of what it's comprised of. And he's, he's kind of going like, based on how that, that final exam, that judgment goes, that, that determines what comes next. Now as the creator, God uses his standards for that final exam, for that, for that judgment. That like, we don't kind of go, I'm gonna impose my standards on God of how this judgment should go. But instead like his creation, 
his rules. That's kind of how it goes. And the reality scripture kind of says is no matter how stringent your ethic has been, even if you put everybody else to shame, you're not going to pass that exam because you failed to live up to God's standard. Like, let's run the Ten Commandments quickly as a test. Like, number one, no other God besides me. Do not have any idols. And you're like, I think I'm doing pretty good on that one. But like, let me just ask you, have you ever done something in your life that God has been like, do not do this. And you're like, I think I know better. And you just go ahead and do it. Like, I have. And like, right there, I've broken the first command. But like, let's, let's skip down a few. Have you lied? Yes. Like everybody, like, yes, right? Like, no, lies. Um, you've coveted. You've been jealous. You've had angry thoughts towards somebody. Jesus goes, that's the equivalent of murder. You've looked lustfully at somebody who you're not married to. Like, again, this, we're all guilty of these things. And so if we were to be judged by God's standard today, none of us are getting a passing grade. Not even Pastor Greg's getting the passing grade on that one. <laughs> Now, to fail that exam, that, to fail at that judgment, means that we're eternally separated from God and his goodness and all the good gifts that he gives us. And scripture would say that you, you suffer the wrath that you deserve for your sin, and it, it calls it hell. But this is why, as Christians, like we go, the gospel is good news. Because we go, God made a way that we do not have to suffer the penalty for our sin, that no matter how that exam might go before us, if we were to stand before our own, that we don't have to stand before God on our own, that he sends Jesus Christ as an innocent sacrifice to pay for our sin, and God credits his work to our account, that if we believe in faith, we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have that living hope. In other words, like I'm, I'm, this illustration breaks down a certain point, I know, but Jesus writes that final exam. He f passes with flying colors and God takes his mark and he gives it to you. And you have eternal life because of what Christ has done. But what we have to notice is this. In 1 Peter chapter one, he's writing to Christians, not, not to non-believers. Peter's writing to Christians and he goes, Judgment. He's going, you're going to be judged. And, and I know that for some of us that we're going, but I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't have to face judgment that when I die or when Christ returns and I'm, I'm kind of pulling up to heaven, like there's going to be a guard out there. He's just going to wave me on through because I'm a Christian. Don't have to do any of that judgment thing. Like that's not, that's not what scripture would say. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the apostle Paul is saying that we're all going to stand before Christ or God at some point and have to give an account for how we've lived our lives. So the first, first thing I want for us to live properly in this situation that we find ourselves is this. We must live in light of God's righteous judgment of our lives. Like Peter's going, you need to live in reverent fear of God. And I know for some of us, we hear that word fear God. Like we, we, we bristle at that word. Like we push back and it's like, that's, that's not God. We shouldn't, we shouldn't fear God. But what happens is this. Like in the church, we, we speak of God as being a good and loving father. And he is that. 
But what happens is we focus on that aspect of God. And that kind of begins to degrade our ideas of his holiness and kind of the rest of God's nature. Um, in C.S. Lewis's kind of the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the, the books in there is called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this interaction between one of the characters, her name is Lucy, and some of the other characters. And Lucy is, is speaking about Aslan, who is the, the lion. Um, he's the Christ figure in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Lucy asks, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Mr. Tumnus also says he's wild, you know, not a tame lion. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's a children's book, but I love the way that Lewis captures that because we, we often go, God, ah, what a, what a safe and tame God. And we, we kind of have this idea that we, we can take God or Father and kind of put them into this neat little package that we completely understand and that we, in some ways, can manipulate and control that when I pray, God's, God's gonna do what I want. And God's gonna, everything's gonna go the way I think it should when I'm dealing with God, right? But in scripture, we see this, that God is not tame. In fact, if you read scripture, like the Old Testament, you would describe him as being dangerous. And the God that you read about in the Old Testament is the God that we call father. And like, what do you mean? Okay, 2 Samuel chapter six. They're bringing the ark, they're transporting the ark of the covenant on a cart and some oxen are pulling it. It says, one of the oxen stumbles. And one of the guys who's kind of going along, he reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant and he, he touches it. And you go, oh, like, that's good. He's like, make sure it doesn't hit the ground, right? God strikes him down. <laughs> like, you're going, what are you doing, God? Like, you, you can't understand it. And like, God is dangerous in that way. That it's like, he does things that we don't fully understand, but he sees what is right. He does what he wants. He does what he sees fit. But we also see that he is good and that he desires good for us and that he does good for us. And so God is a good father. But what I'm saying is this. God is not the father who smiles and nods approvingly at everything that we do, at every choice we make, that he judges our conduct impartially and individually in other words, God judges your actions, my actions, with absolute fairness and complete understanding of each of us specifically. And so I need to make sure that you're understanding what we're talking about here, that if you are a Christian, Peter's not talking about a judgment in that God's deciding whether he's going to make you suffer his wrath or that you're, you're, he's going to condemn you um, to, to hell. But what he's talking about is this. And Peter's been clear, actually. He, he's kind of in the first Peter chapter one, the earlier part. He's going, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that decision, it's made, it's done. You are safe and secure because of what Christ has done for you. But Peter's speaking to believers going, but God does judge. That he's judging your works. He cares about how you live. That he wants your conduct to be that of, of holy people and not to be conformed to your former life, those evil desires that Peter mentioned earlier on before we became a Christian. So think of it, think of it this way. Um, my, my kids, they're a part of my family. 
And as, as their father, as far as I'm concerned, man, you're safe, you're secure in that position. You will always be my child. But every day I make judgments about the things that they do. I look at how they treat one another. I look at um, how my, my kids respect my authority, the authority of their mother. I look how they care for others. I look how they help around the house and, and help others out. And so based off those judgments, I, I might discipline them if I have to do it. Or I might actually reward them, speak words of encouragement going, thank you, like that, that was good. And so I judge their actions, why? Because I care about them. And I'm, I'm, it helps me decide what's best for them in that time. And there are things that I desire for them. There are things that I desire from them. And so Peter's going, Christians, children of God, live with a healthy fear of your father. Not a, not a terror that God's gonna fly off the handle and he's just gonna punish you in anger, but fear of loving parental discipline and understanding who your father is. Like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, it says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And so again, he's a good and loving father, but he's also the God of the universe. And he's watching your life, expecting to see you make choices that bring him glory. And that should cause you to kind of like sit up straight. You know, he's looking at my life. Because I think for some of us, we, we start to think this also, it's like, God's not paying attention to little old me in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Like, does, does he really care? Because like, look at, look at what's going on in the world. Like war in Ukraine, stuff going on in the Middle East, like stuff's happening all around the world. That's got God's attention, right? And then like, there's some big players out there that God's really paying attention to their prayers and their lives and they're going, he's gonna make a big impact and he's not really paying much attention to, to little old me here. Like that's, that's what we start to think. But God is so much bigger than what we understand. And he's very aware of your life. He cares about what you do and why. It's because your choices have consequences. Like what we tend to think is like our choice is this isolated thing that might affect a few people around us. But God sees things much bigger than we ever will. And he sees how your little decisions, your little interactions with people, that, that could be like a rock thrown into a lake that has this ripple effect and it doesn't just impact here and now. But what you do could ripple into eternity and have implications there. And your conduct in this time, again, it can change things. It can have a bigger impact than you think it does. Think about what Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's like, that's not just like a cute little thing. Like, oh, I've done my prayer time. Like Jesus is going like, no, this is, this is a prayer about what God wants. And your actions, your conduct in this time, it either kind of helps accomplish that prayer or detracts from it. That, that what you do, it helps God's name to be made holy. It helps to make his kingdom more manifest on earth. It helps his, his will to be done here or it doesn't. And so knowing that we will be judged should change how we live, that we, we don't live to please the people of the world, the people around us, but we live to please our Father, that we embrace our status as foreigners, exiles, strangers. 
So Peter's point is that in Christ you've been made new and your, your life is not to be the same as it was before you became Christ. It's to be different, or became a Christian. It's to be different. It can no longer be business as usual, but he's going, you strive to be holy just like your father is holy. Because when we stand before Christ one day, our service to him is gonna be evaluated. It's gonna be judged. And it can be rewarded is what scripture would say. Like scripture, it talks about crowns being given out based off kind of maybe our service to Christ, to our king. So the second thing is this, we must live in light of what God thinks of what we are doing. And so this, this is not legalism in which we're saved by what we do. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But as Christians, do we care what God our Father thinks about how we live? And if we're going, I don't really care, like I'm just, I just, I'm just trying to get into heaven, I would go like, you gotta look at your heart then. That should be kind of setting off alarm bells because like God wants relationship. He wants you to love him. Do you appreciate what, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Or I would say it this way, or are you just trying to get his cool stuff? Heaven, get in, get all that stuff. Like leading up to Christmas, I sat through a lot of those um, lame Hallmark Christmas movies. You know what I'm talking about? Like Netflix is starting to get in on the game as well. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like, if you've seen one, you've seen them all because it's like girl leaves city, girl goes to country. She's having wife crisis um, and meets handsome man. Handsome man like begins to strike up a relationship with problems girl. And then like there is like, ah, oh, they're gonna fall in love. It's gonna be great. Oh no, crisis. And it's like, everything's ruined. But then it's resolved and they live happily ever after. It's a Christmas miracle. Um, and it's like, do I enjoy those movies? Not really. Um, not enough action for me. I, I would prefer something like more violent. Um, <laughs> If I'm truth, historical violence, like based on a World War II movie or something like that. Um, but why do I watch them? Because my wife, Shannon, likes to watch them. Like, why do you do what you do for your spouse? Why do you try and do things for your kids that you might not necessarily enjoy or, or maybe things with your neighbors? It's because you love them and, and that love is strong enough to motivate you to do things like watching terrible movies or to change your life. And so... Here's, here's what we're kind of saying. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, where we started off, Peter told believers, have your mind ready for action. And so what he's saying is your faith is not a passive faith, that your faith is one of action. It's to be active and there's work to do. And so you as a Christian, you're not meant to just exist and just kind of like take your faith, put it on the shelf. But you're, there's work that you're called to do. You are to affect change in this world that brings glory to God. So Peter keeps going in verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So verse 23 is going, you've been born again by the word of God. And Peter is going, as a Christian, you've, you've been remade, that, that you, you have been reborn as a child of God. Now think about this, like children tend to resemble their parents, don't they? 
Like, um, my, my son, Seth, is like, you look at him and you go, like, you look a lot like your father. You look like me. He's like, no, I don't. I was like, no, this is your future, buddy. This is who, this is it. Um, my daughter, Jane, she looks a lot like her mother. But again, it's not just physical. It's, it can be like your, your, your personality, your, your attitudes, your, your actions. Like, I look at my kids and I go, like, there's some things that I see my, when they behave, I'm going, that's, that's me. Like, I see it there. And I said, first service, when they're misbehaving, I'm like, that's their mother's side coming through. Um, but it's not even just biological, Right. Like, I have a good friend who, who adopted, he and his wife adopted a little boy a couple of years ago, and last summer we were hanging out, I was watching him uh, play with his son, and I was watching how the kid would act and behave and talk and all this thing, and I'm like, he's a mini you. Like, he's, he's turning into you, his, his adoptive father. And what Peter's saying is, you've been reborn. You're a child of God. The life of God is in you. And that new birth should give you a likeness to your father. And so Peter knows that the great characteristic of the life of God is love. And so the Christian should show that type of love to others. And so he kind of goes, okay, how, do, how does that play out? What does that look like in action? First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Peter says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so Peter's going, during your time in this world, as exiles, as strangers, as foreigners, live holy lives. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? And we, we, we kind, of, kind of get confused, like, what does God want from my life? And we treat it as if it's like this big unknown mystery. But the reality is God's been pretty clear about what he desires for us and from us. And we, we, we try to overcomplicate it. Like think back to what Peter's been saying. Verse 14, he says, our former ignorance to God's revelation. So what he's saying is that actually, no, there's, there's something that has been revealed and you now know it or you, you could know it. In verse 22, Peter says, we're purified through obedience to the truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, to God, he's going, your word is truth. In 2.2, Peter tells Christians to desire or crave the pure milk of the word so that we can grow up in our salvation. And so what he's saying is in Christ, you've received a new diet that you don't feed on the things of the world that maybe you used to kind of like try to be sustained by, but he's going, no, there's a new place you go to to be sustained and you grow up in your faith. And he's saying it's God's word which leads us to Christ-likeness, to be like our older brother and like our father. And so what am I saying? He's going, God's word. Where do we find God's word? It's scripture, the Bible, where God speaks to us. And so we know God's will for how we're to live because he's revealed to us. Through the Bible, God tells us what he desires. We know what God wants because he's going, here it is. He lays it out in his word, beginning kind of with... um, the Mosaic law and ultimately leading up to Jesus' teachings and the apostles' testimony, God is going, here is what a holy life looks like. There's plenty of examples. So here's point number three. A life pleasing to God finds its blueprint in the Bible. A life pleasing to God finds its blueprint in the Bible. Like God has revealed to us how to live a holy life. It's, it's right here for us. He's not hiding who he is from us. He's not hiding what he wants from us. 
Now we're two weeks into 2024. And so the year we would go, it's pretty young still. And I don't think we want this to be a year of a kind of like stagnant um, spiritual growth or well, it wouldn't be spiritual growth if it's stagnant, but we don't want status quo in our spiritual lives, do we? Like, I, I hope that if you're a believer, you're going like, in 12 months time, I'll look back at this time and go, the needle has moved. I've progressed in my relationship with God. And I would say make 2024 a year where you go deeper into God's word so that you might know God more. You might become more like God so that you can make God's glory known in the world. And so I wanna encourage you that if you, if you don't have like some sort of regular abiding Bible reading plan or discipline to, to find one, like make that your goal for this week. And if you're going like, where do I start? Well, there's no shortage of, of resources out there. Um, there's apps kind of dedicated to it. You can find lots of things online. If you're really uh, stuck, I'd be more than happy to kind of point you maybe in a direction that will help. And if you're going, okay, what's the right one that I do? I, I would go like, the, the main thing is make sure it's one that you'll actually do, that you'll do consistently. Like at the beginning of this past December, my grandfather turned 99. And I just like go like 99 years in like this world. Like that, think of the change that he's seen over that time. Like I just, I can't comprehend 99 years, like what all of that. But scripture goes, you know what? Those 99 plus years, whatever God gives them, in the end, they're just a mist. It'll be like that against the backdrop of eternity. It'll be like nothing and scripture has this sobering reminder that we're not here forever, that this is not forever, but it also has this warning that we will spend forever somewhere. Rick Warren, he, he once said, just as the nine months you spent in your mother's womb were not an end in themselves, but preparation for life, so this life is preparation for the next. And so I would, I would ask you, every one of us, like how are you using this time to prepare for forever? And if you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, if you haven't kind of looked to Jesus as that passing grade, I'd invite you to do that today. I'd encourage you to do that. You can speak to Greg or myself about it after. We'd love to kind of help you with that. But eternity is coming. And so God has warned you about the final exam that will be judgment day. God has made a passing grade possible through Jesus Christ. And he's told you how to prepare for eternity in his word.